In today's episode, we're talking about different tactics and strategies for engaging your fan base and building community. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success for them throughout their careers? And we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, uh, as many of you know, we have been doing a run on interviewing college athletics leaders. And in large part, that's because at Engagement, we often work with college athletic departments on areas like customer experience and revenue generation. So we wanted to highlight some of the best leaders in the industry that are shaking it up and doing some really cool things in those areas. So today's guest, I am joined by Rhett Hobart. And Rhett is the Associate Athletic Director for Fan Experience and Brand Development at Wake Forest University. Now, he joined the staff in April 2020, but before that, he was with Mississippi State. And at Mississippi State, he helped the marketing team win NACMA Marketing Team of the Year in both 2016 and 2017, first department to ever win it back-to-back years. Uh, So prior to joining the staff at Wake Forest, Rhett had already carved out a a little name for himself, if you will. Uh, But at Wake Forest in the last 18 months since he's gotten there, they've done some really cool things. Everything from launching a, a broader brand campaign throughout the community to generate interest to uh, alcohol, where they've co-branded it and created their own beer. Uh, They're doing a lot of different cool things at Wake Forest, and we talk about all those initiatives with Rhett on the show. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend, Rhett Hobart. Rhett, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Appreciate you having me. I am so excited to jump into a number of different things with you all around kind of fan experience and engaging with with uh, your customers, if you will. Uh, but let's start here. You guys have just wrapped up a, a, a really, really cool project that's caught a lot of headlines, Deacon Brew. Talk to us a yep. little bit about it. Man, it's been an interesting project. Um, th- this has been going on for quite a while, to be honest with you. Um, and it's it's been really, really neat to see it come to life. So it's been something I think many of our fans have been desiring and wanting. And you see uh, uh, more and more schools nowadays rolling out custom branded beer, whether it's a you know complete custom brew or a partnership. Um, and so it, it was something that our fans really, really wanted. And so it's been really cool to see it come to life over the last six to eight months. Was it just a strict licensing deal? I mean, talk to us about kind of how the project came to life. Who were the parties involved? What role did you, did you and the department play in it? Yeah, so you know it, it's it's a it's a pretty large um, partnership and, and deals. So um, the background of it, we, we it was a mutual colleague um, that came to us that was aware of the company we partnered with, R and E Brewing, based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and, and that there was a desire among that company to expand into the western part of the state. So they had recently rolled out a really large partnership with um, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, NHL team. And we had seen that distribution, that brand exposure they had gotten in that deal um, and, and really was impressed by that by that rollout. Um, and we had been searching for a while. We had been in conversation for really over a year with a number of hyperlocal breweries here in Winston and around right in the immediate area um, and, and really explored a lot of options, engaged multiple partners and had conversations there. Um, the challenge for us as we continued to explore those options was distribution model. Um, we really desired a strong, wide-ranging distribution across the state. Um, and we, we had seen, again, what they had done with the hurricanes, and we saw that distribution, the um, the quantity that could be produced of the product, and also the brand exposure and the way they went about it. Um, you know, um, it, it was from, from a from a involvement standpoint of different parties, it, it was a big team effort. Um, the, a large part of this process was carried out by our Learfield team here on campus. It was mm. it was me and uh, Rob Acock, who, who's one of our uh, members of our Learfield staff, working in this collaboratively for months and months to get this deal to fruition. But when, when you're bringing a custom beer deal to life, um, there are a lot of stakeholders. 
Um, you know, it was a, there's a huge part of this is a licensing deal. There's a, the big part of this is licensing. Um, and so the licensing side of things, exploring that, figuring out the royalty rates and all those types of things was a big part of it. Working with CLC on the um, requirements to become a, uh, become a branded beer partner. You know, there's a lot of requirements to do that from a legal side of things. Um, and then working with athletic administration, rest of our administration, university council, university leadership. I mean, it was a, it was a solid six to eight month um, process to, to bring this to fruition. I can't imagine it was too silent in those meetings, though. What what was some of the pushback that you got? I mean, I think about a lot of universities. I mean, to to say that a school would have its own custom branded brew ten years ago, you would have got the craziest looks because that was just so taboo back then. Um, but you're, what you're, what were some of the pushbacks and and things that you you guys got and you discussed and you worked through in those meetings? You know, one of the biggest topics we had was what was the alcohol content. Um, you know, should it, what should the alcohol content of this, of this drink, of this beer be? Um, and we, we discussed that at length, um, because, um, you know, it is you putting your, your brand on a beer that you're going to be promoting people to, to drink. And also a big part of it too was, um, is there a tied in, um, drink responsibly campaign to it? And that was a big part of our negotiation was we required a drink responsibly campaign to be a part of the deal. Um, and so, you know, anytime you're adding a, a branded beer to, the, to a university or to an athletic department, um, there's a lot of different, again, stakeholders and processes to go through to, to bring it to fruition. And in terms of, um, you know, challenge we worked through, another thing we worked through too was what logo should we put on the beer? Um, should we actually put our true mark on the beer? And if you look at the, um, if you look at our packaging and our cans, um, we actually did not put our primary mark on the cans, just on the packaging. We felt more comfortable with um, with having a secondary mark on the can that's actually being held and people are drinking, and having our primary WF mark on the cartons and the in the, in the packaging. So, mm-hmm. you know, the alcohol content was the big question, then the packaging, and then the drink responsibly campaign was also a big part of it. And trying to figure out how does all that fit together to responsibly roll out a branded beer at a university. Um, we also did a deep dive into our peers and we looked at what peers have rolled this out. Um, how did they go about it? Um, and, and explore a number of things from that area too. Um, as we push down this path, who were some of your peers that you guys looked at and you said, there are elements of what they did that we want to emulate. And, and what were those elements? There was a number, um, you know, uh, NC state, uh, has, has old Tuffy. Um, we looked at that a good bit as well. Um, we again looked at not necessarily a direct peer in terms of collegiate athletics, but we spent most of our time looking at the Carolina Hurricanes rollout mm-hmm. because it was it's so local to us um, and it's the same partner. And so we were able to really explore how they went about it, um, even in terms of in venue pricing. So the, the way that beer um, really had a strength in the rollout was they had a five dollar price point in venue. And so if you go to a game at PNC for uh, and you buy Storm Brew um, at, the, at, at PNC Arena, it's five dollars. And that's a huge part of the marketing campaign behind that is it's, you know, it's almost as if your sporting events become your biggest sampling opportunity. So how your future sales are dependent upon um, while you have a stadium full of, you know, for us, 30,000 people. How do you make sure they sample it? They like it and they want to go buy it and retail after the fact. And so. In a lot of ways, we mirrored the Carolina Hurricanes rollout um, because we knew that R&D was comfortable with that rollout. They had obviously been a part of it, and we could see the success it was having across the state and in arena. And so um, we mirrored many, many parts of that rollout. But then again, we also looked at, I remember making spreadsheets uh, and, and looking at partners, um, looking at schools who had done this, um, alcohol contents, types of beer, to really just make sure we want we want to be an outlier. You want to you know you want to do this right. You don't want it to be something that's going to be um, uh, completely bucking the norm uh, in this industry because it is it's a unique space. And luckily, Wake Forest um, has served alcohol for a number of years at sporting events, so it wasn't like we were starting serving alcohol and making our own beer. We had been in this um, in this arena for a while, and so um, you know it, it just made sense to continue to push down this path. But I would say mainly we we looked at the Carolina Hurricanes rollout. So there's a couple of things I want to go down, but I want to ask these questions first because if I ask this one question, it's going to take us down a whole another rabbit hole. So I'm going to hold on to that. But okay. uh, when you guys rolled it out, did you test the product out with like maybe fan council or a subset or did you just say, hey, 
this is it. We designed it internally and we're rolling this out now. You know, it's interesting. Um, we, we had to make a conscious decision on that, to be honest, because we um, when this th- this project took about, like I said, about six to eight months to, to get to get to fruition. And, um, you know, a lot of that was contract negotiation and figuring out, like I said, all the, the legalese of things and all those types of aspects of it. And so by the time you finally get to the recipe side of things, um, we were we were in July. And so we, we had to make the decision of whether or not we wanted to pause production and risk not having it for the first football game to go through a large sampling period. So we actually chose not to do that. Um, we did some minor sampling with a couple of members of our staff. Um, however, it was um, it was the decision to make sure we had it ready for game one. And if we drug that out two or three more weeks for a sampling period, mm-hmm. um, that was gonna that was gonna stop that from happening. So you know we really depended upon the the crew masters at R&D to, to get it right. And we, again, had confidence in them in doing that. We had a lot of conversations about, again, the alcohol content and the basics of the, we wanted a light beer. Um, we wanted a light beer that we felt like would be a good stadium beer, but there also a beer that could be purchased and enjoyed beyond the stadium, the confines of the stadium. And so um, we did discuss the overall rollout in a number of our kind of small focus groups of, of, um, of fans. Um, but from in terms of specific sampling, we did not go down that path just from a time sake standpoint. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that in college athletics, contract negotiations and working out the finer details delayed a launch of something. I'm shocked to hear that, Rhett. (laughs) We, uh, we got the first, uh, the first keg in the day, the the week of the first game. So it was, uh, it was very convenient timing. Why why am I not surprised? It's a great beer. Anyway, um, all right. Well, I, I, I do want to hit on this aspect of what you said about it being a stadium beer and being able yep. to have the beer in the stadium almost be your largest marketing campaign. Yeah, I think about this similarly to kind of how Barstool approaches business oftentimes where they've got this massive audience and rather than just being a media company, they can then create different pieces of commerce uh, and products that they can sell because they know they have a captive audience. I think about this beer with you guys in, in, a, in a similar way where you guys have always made so much of your money, uh, whether that be from broadcast or multimedia rights, whatever it be, sponsorship, where you've got a live audience and you're helping other people sell their brands, right? Sell their products. Now, for the first, almost one of the first times, you're saying... We're going to sell our product to this large captive audience. Next, outs, what's next outside of beer? And how, how, do you, how do you think about that? What are other types of things like that that you can get a little bit more interesting with rather than just licensing on a T-shirt? Yeah. What are the, what are, what's the next product or innovation that you guys can sell to your captive audience and take a bigger piece of, you think? I'm going to answer that by going back to a statement you just made, and I'll come back to the direct answer. So, you know, I think the beauty of what you just said in terms of how we went about this is that's a true successful sponsorship partnership. You know, you you have sponsors that come in that, you know, you're promoting their product. The best sponsorships you can make, the best partnerships you can create um, in in this industry, in this space are ones where it's a co-branded, co-opportunity partnership. We thought this was a a great aspect of that because when R&D succeeds, we succeed as well. And so it's, you know, there's a true partnership in that. You know, we have looked at a number of things beyond beyond beer that I think will be coming over the next few years. Um, there's a number of schools have rolled out custom branded liquors. Um, mm-hmm. We have explored that as well. Um, New Mexico State uh, rolled out one about a year ago. Um, we've explored that concept. We have some local distilleries who are interested in working with us on that. Um, that's, that's obviously another whole uh, world to yep. enter and explore. Um, Wake Forest in the past has had a custom branded wine um, that we are looking now to bring back. Um, that's I think it's been off the shelf for probably about five years now, but looking to possibly bring back a branded wine. And so in the that's probably two examples just in the alcohol space um, that we're exploring. But, you know, candidly, right now, everyone is looking at ways to maximize and grow revenues. And so a lot of this partnership um, and the reason to pull the trigger on it now was for that sake. You know, not only is this a partnership where you have a sponsorship uh, amount being paid into it just to promote the product, but there's a um, there's a commission from a concession sales and venue. There's a royalty rate sale at a venue, and so um, you know we've even talked about coffee. Is there a way to do custom branded coffee? Love it. Um, there's schools who I know have explored that. I think there's been a few that have rolled out. So um, the future of this um, is really wide open because there are so many opportunities to um, 
have these co-op partnerships that allow um, you to share in the success with a partner that really is the best kind of sponsorship deal you can create. I love that you guys are thinking like this uh, because I, I definitely believe if you look at the traditional revenue streams of college athletics, you know, you, we'll see what happens with broadcast here in the next round of things and with, with conference realignment. But from a development standpoint, from a sponsorship perspective, from a ticket sales, those revenue streams are not as stable or reliable as they once were. And so I think if we're an athletic department and we're not thinking about what are new revenue streams that we can start thinking about. You're, you're really not setting yourself up for the future well, because I think we've got to be saying, how can we leverage the power of our brand to deeper engage our fans and grow revenue in ways that we've not thought about before? For sure. I agree. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of this larger, more general fan experience uh, when we're talking about engaging with fans that you guys are working on. Uh Deacon Brew is just one thing that you guys have done to engage the fans. You've definitely got some new things. Uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about Deke Town and what that looks like uh, so people can get an idea of what you guys are working on there. Thank you. Yeah, you, you know, Wake Forest is unique um, in a lot of ways. It's the smallest power five school in the country, but it's a robust, highly academic institution with a very high caliber of student and student athlete with also a high athletic history of success. Um, what's unique in that is that Wake Forest recruits students so nationally, even internationally, that it's not like a state school that I, that I came from and I'm used to, that I, where I attended, where you're going to graduate, you're going to stay somewhat local. Um, a lot of Wake Forest students who come to school here don't stay local after graduation. You know, they may move to, now you look at our alumni bases nationally, we have Washington, D.C., New York City, Atlanta, all these different markets. And so... Um, why that's important is that, you know, when you're trying to fill a 30,000 seat football stadium, a, a 14,000 seat basketball arena, you don't always have that captive market of alumni right here in the area to sell tickets to. And so, um, you know, coming in a year and a half ago here, one of the big conversations we had um, was about how do we grow um, our ticket base, our fan base, um, our, how do we fill our venues? And we felt the, a big thing we had to do was find ways to better embrace and engage the community. Um, and as a part of that, um, create opportunities for people who didn't go to Wake Forest, who maybe are a huge fan of another team in the ACC or a team in a different conference, to still feel like they live here locally, that Wake is their team also. I don't care if you went to school here. I don't care where you actually call home. How do we make you feel like um, you are welcome in our environment, in our facilities, by, by being a ticket holder? Um, you know, a challenge you have sometimes with the university at the caliber of Wake Forest um, is that it can feel exclusive in some ways. Mm. Um, and so how do you make sure that people in the community who live here in the triad um, across North Carolina feel like Wake Forest is their school as well? And so um, we have a great uh, partnership with, the, with a group on campus that specializes in branding. Um, and we work collaboratively, even before I got here, this project had started, um, to develop a new brand campaign that was geared specifically at that message. So we launched the campaign called Deke Town. And the idea is that no matter where you went to school, no matter where you call home, no matter what school you cheer for every, every Saturday, Wake Forest is open to you. And we want you to be part of our family. We're welcoming you to part of our family. And so we launched this campaign officially in January. We had a three-phase rollout. Um, we are now in phase three. Phase one was a direct uh, tie into a sales message for football. We launched football renewals okay. and sales. We rolled the campaign out with that. Um, and then... Phase two over the summer, uh, really started in about May, was a true environmental grassroots branding rollout. So all over the city, um, throughout uh, the triad, so throughout in Greensboro as well, we have physical branding on the sides of buildings, on walls, we have banners. And so when you go around this city, when you go across the triad, when you go to airports uh, in the state, you see Welcome to Deektown branding. And the message is intentional, welcome to because we're welcoming you to part of our family. We're not we're not saying um, this is deep town. We're saying welcome to it. No matter if you know it or not, you're a part of it. Um, and, and this idea goes beyond the confines of Winston Salem. You know, its home will always be here. But when our team goes on the road, um, we take it with us. We did a we did a brand campaign um, as an extension of this um, earlier this year during the NBA Finals. Um, we had billboards uh, for Jeff Teague in Milwaukee. Uh, and for Chris Paul and Phoenix, it said Phoenix is deep town. Milwaukee is deep town. Mm. Mm. And we're, sh we're trying to show that no matter where you are, if you are um, 
if you are a part of the Wake Forest culture, it's following you wherever you are. And so um, this has been a big rollout for us. And now phase three is as we bring this into our venues to come to life at our events. So I, this is this is great stuff. I mean, I, I'm really curious as to how behind the scenes this has worked. Right. I know you know, a lot of our listeners are, are senior leaders trying to take away tips and, and strategies here. So something like Deke Town, a big branding campaign like that, that that's not in your normal P&L on the marketing team year over year. And I know because we're deep in a lot of different athletic departments looking at their P&Ls, a lot of times budgeting comes as, hey, what'd you do last year? And can you do the same with what you did last year? This clearly does not fit into that. Um, so how, how did you guys get the funds and the budget internally to go push something like this where you might not see a direct ROI in year one? Yeah, it's definitely a long play. It's de- we're, we're building a long-term strategy out of this to sell tickets in the long run. Um, you know, we're not, we're not thinking we're going to see a massive jump in year one. It's about building a culture to your point. It's, it's a long, it's a long play. Um, so we actually, um, had prepared to launch this last June. Um, and we held. Um, we held for a number of reasons. One, we felt like it wasn't the right time to launch it in the middle of the pandemic uh, at the pace the pandemic was was, was moving at that point. Um, and also from a financial standpoint, we need to be um, conscious of that last year specifically with the unknowns that were ahead. Um, and so we really um, held off on it um, to one, figure out the budget side of things, how we can make this work, because there is a significant financial investment launch of a brand campaign. Um, and so we really had those conversations over the last, you know, year to figure that out. And to your point, it was not a budgeted item in our in our marketing budget. It was a separate budget a part of this. Who was a part of those conversations? Was development involved? Uh, I mean, talk to us about how you got senior leaders internally. Like, how did you get senior leaders to buy in that this is the right investment? This is where we need to spend our money instead yeah. of somewhere else. You know, um, to, to the to the credit of those before me at Wake Forest, this had st- this conversation had started before I got here. When I got here, my literally my first day, I got handed a book of the Deektown brand campaign. Like, hey, look at this; it's in your hands now. We got we got to figure out how to get this rolled out. And so, um, you know, I, I think how this project started initially was we have a group on campus, um, a group called Community and External Relations, that um, is basically the university's branding and PR unit. Um, and they specialize. They've done some really, really great branding campaigns just, uh, over the number over the years, and um, and so they had actually this project had started um, in conversation with athletic leadership, um, all the way from from John, our AD, uh, through our department of uh, that we need a new brand campaign, and so they really started working on this, and they presented it back to um, university senior lead, our athletic senior leadership team, um, showed an initial draft of some concepts. Um, this was, again, right around the time I got here in last March. Um, and then we went through a ton of refinement, refinements to that, to that uh, pitch. Um, and then the conversations continued from a financial standpoint with um, our CFO, with John, our AD, with my boss, uh, Barry Faircloth on the development side. Um, it was a ton of conversations. It was, it was collaborative among our entire leadership team. And there was a buy-in, which I think it takes. It takes a full buy-in of the, of the department to do something like this because – this carries into every sport from an apparel standpoint, from an in-venue branding standpoint. And so this was something that was discussed very collaboratively over a year process behind the scenes um, to prepare to launch it in January. What have been some of the, the successes? And if you were at another school starting out to launch a brand campaign, what are some things you might do differently? Yeah. Um, so I, one of the, one of the, times where I really felt like this was a, this was the launch had been successful. Um, we have a big, uh, we, we have a big sign uh, on the corner of Bailey Park in downtown Winston-Salem. It's right off the uh, edge of the med school campus downtown. Um, and uh, there's also some great breweries around there. It's the home of the old Reynolds tobacco factories that all have been turned into these great breweries in this great area of town. Um, and uh, I was going down one night to actually eat pizza at a great place downtown. I'm walking through the park and I see a family with uh, it was it was a mom, dad, brother, and a sister taking a picture in front of the Deektown sign, and so I actually walked up to them and I was like, "Hey, you know, welcome." I said, "Welcome to Deektown. Um, you know, what brings you here? You know, what 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 are you? What's your uh, reason for being in town?" And this student was actually considering Wake Forest and had uh, and had been on a campus visit that day and was going down to eat pizza at this restaurant downtown and saw the sign and took a photo. And they made the comment that it felt like that the community was supportive of Wake Forest and it was all one big 
you know, town and gown relationship. And so at that point, I'll, I was like, let me take your photo for you. <laughs> get, we'll get a better picture. Where you can see all of this in it. Um, and uh, that that was the point at which I was like, OK, this is this is actually and we're, in the, we're early in this, but this has some life to it. Um, and so that's when I felt like this was this was a chance to be a really cool effort. If you committed there, you guys are taking all the credit and you know, that that's, that's 60 K put it, put it in 60 K of tuition per year, put it in there. That's uh, right. That, that there's your ROI right there. That's right. What, what are some things you might do differently if, if you were launching a brand campaign uh, at another school where you were really trying to get yeah. the community rallied around the school? Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's so much differently as, um, it, the decision that we ended up making, whether I really liked it or not at the time, to hold off on this campaign for really eight more months was the right decision. Um, and so I would say with that, if you are doing a brand campaign, if you're launching a brand campaign, um, if you think you're ready for it to launch, you're probably not. Um, and you really need to deep dive into whatever aspect of it is. Um, and so be patient. I think a brand campaign, especially when you want to launch, we want this to last for five plus years, our goal with this campaign. Um, and so, um, you know, an extra eight months is nothing in that and to get it right. And so I think the most important thing in a brand campaign is um, being patient with the launch, bringing in as many people as possible to vet it and figure out what you're missing um, from a university standpoint, from a department athletic standpoint, from an alumni student standpoint. Uh, we held a number of kind of internal focus groups, with those groups um, over the last fall semester that if we, if we had launched it in June, we wouldn't have had those. And so, um, I think patience and inclusion of various parties for feedback is the most vital thing you can do in a kind of a quiet face launch of a brand period of a brand campaign. I love it. Uh, it seems like you guys have really done a good job uh, with Deke Town and rallying the community to have some passion for Wake Forest and feel a part of that. You guys have also done a lot of things for when they actually come and they act on that interest. And now they're actually experiencing your product, your event. Uh, you guys have done a lot of things to plus up that experience, both for students and for regular fans, you know, whether it be the R&D Brewing uh, Seven Saturdays Bar uh, or some of the stuff that you guys are doing for students. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of those things you guys are doing from a, an experience standpoint once people have acted on their interests and they're at your event. So, you know, as I talked about earlier, um, we, we ha if we're going to be successful in filling our venues, we have to bring in those from the community that didn't go to Wake Forest. And so a large part of how we've adjusted our strategy for um, uh, how we create a game day experience is creating an experience that any college sports fan would enjoy, whether or not you went to Wake Forest. So whether or not Wake Forest is your, is your favorite team, if you come to a game at Wake Forest, we want to make sure that you have the ultimate college football experience that even goes beyond just what's happening on the field. How do we make everything around the venue the best it can be, which is a common thing everyone is trying to do in college athletics right now. Um, so, you know, tying in what you mentioned earlier about the bringing to life the seven Saturdays bar. So as a part of this whole rollout of Deacon Brew, we knew we wanted to have a strong in venue activation. It goes back to the concept of it's our biggest sampling opportunity we have. And so um, it, this execution is really a huge exemplification of the strategy of our creating the best fan experience we can create. One of our core principles um, that John has for our department is creating the best fan experience in North Carolina. And that's not trying to be short-sighted of just saying best here, but we feel like with the competitive nature of this market, if yeah. we can do that, it's going to be one of the best in the country. And so love, love, love a good attainable goal. So, <laughs> right. Sometimes sometimes we like way overreach and it's like, let's start with just being the best in our neighborhood, but go ahead. That's right. So when we were trying to bring to life, this is bar space. Um, we had a vacant area that was on our concourse. It was a really great view of the field below our video board. So it had these kind of cutout openings with it with a rail. Um, and so we're like, this would be a great spot to create an immersive experience. And so when we started discussing this, we felt like the important thing, going back to Soul Concepts, how do we make sure any fan who's maybe a fan of a different team loves our experience? We said we've got to create almost a sports bar-like experience where you can sit there, be at our game, watch other games, and experience a cool setting. So we create a, a pretty immersive experience. It has a 40-foot wide bar in the center, two 10-foot bars on each end. It has TVs all throughout it. It has, it has outdoor couches. It has lights over the top. Um, you have the chance there to purchase beer in draft or can form. Uh, and we install drink rails around the whole perimeter of it to make sure you can watch the game. We have hot top seating. So, you know, it was an exemplification of our strategy of trying to create 
an ultimate fan experience for somebody who maybe is not a Wake Forest fan at heart, um, but we're trying to make them become that. You know, I say all the time, I'm happy to be your second favorite team. Um, if you want to come to the game and yeah. if you love Power 5 AC football, you can watch it right here in your backyard. Um, good. So that was the first part of that was creating that experience. Good, good for you guys, one, putting the ego aside and being okay with that, right? I, I think too often I, I've had conversations with, with smaller schools that – you know, they're like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to do, we, we want to be the number one. I'm like, guys, it's ultimately like, it's okay being second because they're going to send their, their kids to school there, you know, who knows? Um, yeah. But something that you hit on that was really interesting just now is that the way you guys came up with this was you took an underutilized asset or space in the venue and said, how can we reposition that? And I think from yeah. our days at Disney, I mean, that was something that we always looked at is, and it's how we approach stadiums and venues now and concourses and areas around the stadium is ultimately it's real estate. How can you get the highest yield from that space, from that real estate? What can you put there that's going to do that? I mean, I, I think about it even from a, a food and beverage perspective, right? Is Should we have the kettle corn guy at the front or should we have the water guy at the front, right? It's real estate. How do we generate the most revenue from that real estate? Uh, and so I love that you guys took that concept and, and really brought it to life. Sure. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit maybe about what you guys have done specifically around the student experience. Uh, sure. I don't think the student, maybe not all the students are going to be at that bar, right? Unless they're overage, but a lot of students are not. Right. So what have you guys done around the student experience? I know you've done some some interesting things there. So we, we've taken a, um, a a major focus approach to student engagement. Um, I, I tell, we talk a lot among our team that if we can't get students to come to games when it's free, they live on campus, the stadium's right there, then our chance of getting them back is probably slim as an alum. And so we feel like it's vitally important for us to add value to the student experience. You know, we can be that thing they look forward to every week to go to the sporting event. Um, we can add and make their experience better than, than it would have been without. Um, and so um, we, we've placed a major emphasis on that student experience. And so we've taken two really intentional approaches. Um, one being um, last summer we launched a new dedicated um, digital student rewards program. And people have these all over the country, um, but I can't tell you how important I feel they are personally, um, because it not only um, allows you to get a schedule of events in every student's hand for all your events, but it allows you to have direct contact to students. You know, being able to send campus-wide emails is always a challenge, no matter where you are. Um, and so for us, the core of this whole concept was creating a dedicated um, ability to deliver, deliver information to students, whether it be through push notifications through the app or through email. And so, you know, we send schedule events emails every Monday for the week ahead to every student in the program. Um, we have 5,100 students in this program, which is almost 95% of the university enrolled. And so uh, it allows us to have direct contact to the students, um, which also allows us to get feedback from students through, in, through surveys in the app and through um, rewards that makes them want to go to events to earn the big prize they can get and they compete on leaderboards. And so, you know, the core of everything we do from an experiential standpoint for students is based off that program. To, to get a giveaway at an event, you have to open your app and show you're checked in. You can't just walk up and get a giveaway. And so um, it's the core of all we do. Um, from a football standpoint, we actually transitioned this year to making that program their digital ticket to get in. So historically, they have scanned an ID to get in the, in the gates, and that's great, but that didn't make them be a member of the program. And we feel like we need them to be a member of the program to communicate with them, to follow up after games. You know, if you use a program like this, um, you can uh, look at who came to the game and target them back and say, hey, we loved having you last week at Florida State for football. Need you back this week for Louisville. And so we record videos with, with Coach Clawson talking about, hey, you made a difference. I need you back this week. And we send those out. And so um, by us using the integrated QR code in the app and linking that up into our Pacquiao and ticketing system, we are able to know exactly who's coming and they have to have the app to get into the game, which creates guaranteed uh, app downloads and engagement every single game. We also are able to award points for staying through the fourth quarter. So to come to a football game, you get 50 points for coming, you get 150 if you're still there in the fourth quarter. So it goes back into creating that experience. We want you to come, we want you to be there the whole game. But probably the biggest thing we've changed this year from a football standpoint um, is something that's unique about the Wake Forest game day culture for students is the tailgate space for students is within the stadium. So we have a wide perimeter on one side of the stadium where these kind of all our tennis courts are. That's a nice grass area. It's within the stadium gates. And that is where all of our student organizations create their tailgate spaces. Mm. And historically, 
uh, it's been a very group centric space um, where you go in, you book a space, you have your tailgate, um, bring your own tents, um, and it's, it was a, it was a, it was a cool experience. The feedback we got um, when I got here and a number of conversations was that for students who didn't have an organization tent to go to, they were lost on game days. They had nowhere to go and, and enjoy that experience. So we created a task force this summer that was wide ranging. It included uh, members of the Dean of Students Office, Greek Life, athletics, um, faculty members to really dive into what should our game day student experience look like? What should our tailgate experience look like? And we revamped the entire experience. So we actually created a new um, centralized student tailgate that has a 25-foot video screen, a big stage, live music. It has $5 beer, $5 drinks, free food trucks, um, tables, seating areas. But that area is surrounded by all the group spaces. So they actually make a, make a U around it. So the concept is you don't look like alone or going to the space because everybody's there already, but you can still be a part of this overall experience. And so we rolled it out for game one, um, and it's helped us have the two largest crowds in the last 15 years for student at football. That's huge. I, I have a couple questions. Um, one, our listeners love hearing like the names of actual companies and whatnot so that they can yep. go out and, and if they like yep. what they hear, they go explore that. So what, who did you guys work with on the app? FanMaker. You worked with uh, FanMaker. Okay, cool. Yep, I work with them. I work with them at Mississippi State. I've been with them for probably almost 10 years now, and they've been exceptional for us. Um, wow. I, uh, they, they do a great job. They're, they're, they're good guys. Uh, we know them as well. Um, how about uh, when we think about the, the student tailgating experience that you just described, obviously that, that takes some investment. Uh, if you're comfortable sharing some ranges of numbers that you guys have invested in that type of experience, that would be great. We can always bleep it out. Um, but I, 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 think, I think people just underestimate what it takes to put something on like that or how involved maybe Learfield was in, in putting that together. I mean, maybe yeah. talk a little bit about that. So this was um, a very collaborative partnership, meaning we were working hand in with the university to do this because it goes okay. back to adding value to the student experience. And so this was a six figure investment on both sides to make this happen. Um, you know, uh, it's all about creating the best student experience you can create because that's what creates retention for students. That's yep. what creates um, your future ticket holders. And so we feel like it's worth the investment. And so we reallocated stuff on our side from from what from what we do. Um, there was already money being spent on this to an extent, but uh, we made a significant financial investment in it. And um, we've gotten really positive feedback from students. And, you know, the crowds have shown us that it's working so far. I, I love it. Yeah, I think you can do you can do all the marketing in the world. And if at the end of the day, the fans come there and it's not a great experience, they're not going to come back. You might get them the one time, but you're not going to get them the second, third, fourth, tenth time. Um, well, let's think about this. Uh, I mean, are you guys doing anything from a, a ticket bundle? I mean, I, I want to talk maybe about some of the upcoming trends that you're studying and interested in. Um, yeah. Talk to us maybe about your approach on, on and thoughts around the ticket model uh, sure. of the future. So I'll give you two perspectives. I'll give you a perspective of what we did in football and where we're going in basketball, which I think is pretty innovative in basketball. Okay. So from a football standpoint, um, we, um, we we are creating a model that prioritizes early purchasing. Um, and so for us, uh, our, our ticket options for football are season tickets and then obviously single game tickets. But then we also create ticket bundles and four packs. So um, how this works and how we launched, this was actually started before I got here as well. We just continue to roll it forward. Um, is uh, once season tickets have gone through the process, we've had, we had them on sale in January, and then we launched our first ticketing four packs in April. So we had about a four month period where it was exclusive to season tickets. Um, then we launched this tiered pricing model where um, you could get four tickets and a parking pass to a single game um, for all, almost every game. Um, so you had to pick your game, uh, and there were different pricing for each game, but the price elevates every 30 days. And so what we were doing by that was it allowed us an opportunity every 30 days to promote last chance, last chance to drive urgency. And so we would see spikes in sales, um, you know, in that third and fourth week of each month um, as we push forward to kick to, to, the end, to the end of the summer. Beautiful. And so it, it, that was kind of how we approached the football model as opposed to doing a mini plan that has multiple games together. We did individual four packs for each game um, and built urgency through uh, each 30 days. Um, from a basketball standpoint, we, we've kind of um, blown, up, blown up our basketball ticketing model, for lack of a better term. Really? Um, okay. I'm, 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 you, you got my attention and my curiosity. 
So we did a deep dive um, earlier this year into um, into how we have offered basketball ticketing in the past. And when we looked at it, we had so many different mini plans, so many different options that it almost was confusing to the consumer. Um, and so we felt like we need to create a more simplified model while also allowing maximum flexibility. So we did kind of two things. We eliminated all mini plans and went to an admissions model. So what I'm meaning by that is we created every package, we created two different packages um, that offered full half or quarter season ticket packages, meaning um, 18 admissions, nine admissions or five admissions. And so you can buy a traditional season ticket, pre-pick your seat location on the full season basis, half season basis or quarter season basis. If you buy a half season at time of purchase, you're picking your, your nine games you wanna go to. Um, and it allows us to get people in the door. Maybe we can move up the escalator next year to a full season ticket holder. On the flip side of that, we feel like the ticket model today um, demands ultimate flexibility, especially for a younger consumer. And so as opposed to creating a mini plan, um, we created a, a program called Flex. And we're using the Pacquiola and Voucher program that they offer through their system. And we're offering a Flex program at the same structure. So full half or quarter season Flex plans. What that means, if you buy a full season Flex plan, you get 18 admissions. You can use all 18 to one game if you want, bring 17 friends with you. You can use two, two tickets at nine games. Um, same thing with the half seasons offering nine admissions. It allows us to have really nice low price points because the benefit of that is you don't get your seat assigned until almost game day. And so um, you're waiting to get your seat assigned, it allows us to sell tickets at a higher rate on a single game basis, but also reward those who redeem their tickets early for those games. Um, and so basically we try to simplify our model by offering basically full half and quarter season packages and you pick if you want traditional or flex. And so we, uh, we are in the midst of that selling period now and have seen a nice jump already in sales. And I, I got to imagine the jump in sales as well. I don't know if you've unpacked the demographics of who's driving that jump in sales, but I got to think that that's almost a little bit younger as well based on the flexibility and kind of this membership model versus kind of the season ticket holder. Is, is that, is that correct? No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, um, you know, we felt like it was an opportunity with a new head coach who was, who's in year two, but kind of year one with COVID, um, to really engage a, 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 the fan base and engage again, going back to the deep town concept, local people who don't want to spend $500 who are willing to those spend, um, you know, $90 on a package to come to five games. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think it's definitely uh, from a demographic standpoint, the flex plaque skews much low, much younger. Um, and then you mentioned the membership side, I think I should have mentioned already, you know, as a part of our whole model between traditional and flex, we are changing our terminology from ticket holder to ticket member. Mm. And the reason behind that is we feel like to be successful in selling tickets, um, we want you to feel like you're getting more than just tickets. And so right now we're exploring lots of aspects of that, whether it's fast pass lines of concessions or the gates to come in, whether it's a loaded concession voucher based on the number of tickets you purchased. Um, we're, we're still in the exploration phase of a lot of that, um, but we are trying to find ways to add value and create a membership. Um, a lot of NBA teams excel at this, to be honest, and we've looked at that in depth. Um, and so we're trying to create a way that you feel like you're more than just a ticket holder, you're a member and you're part of the program. Good on you guys for what you just said. Of We've been looking at what NBA teams have been doing and not just other college universities. I think too often in our in the college space, we get caught up not looking outside of college. So good on you guys looking at, at more of the NBA style, MLB. I feel, you know, Chris Giles uh, and his company at this point should be taking out an ad here with us because I always talk about uh, his company and, and what they've been doing. So he, he was a former COO at the Oakland Athletics. Uh, and they've, they've changed their company name a few times, but he, he's kind of pioneering this membership model where at the Oakland A's, they did away with season tickets and yeah. just moved all to memberships. But it would ultimately it changed their mindset to focus on how can we create value outside of just the ticket? Um, and I was talking, I was talking to one of my good friends uh, at an SEC school this weekend about the same thing. And it's, it's this, especially with basketball, you know, Saturday, football Saturdays, you got seven of those events or six of those events. It's an all-day affair, right? They're on a day where people aren't working. 
But how do you for the for the no name school that you're the out of conference no name school that you're playing on a Wednesday night for basketball? How much value really exists in that ticket? And if you can create a larger membership there, now you're saying the ticket's just part of a larger package. And I think that's going to be the only way going forward. There's too many other entertainment options for people to use today. I agree, and, and you know, part of that too. While, while we've just while we've discussed like the concession lines, is it's a visual reminder to those in the venue they should be a seat ticket holder member. And so, you know, if somebody who just bought a single game ticket walk up to a concession stand, they see people skipping the line, they're like, I want to be that. I want to. I want that experience. Right. Um, the Atlanta Braves do an exceptional job of that with their A-list program. And so we're looking to replicate a model like that for basketball as kind of a beta test to a larger program that we may roll out to football as well. Let me guess, the Braves A-list program is also powered by Delta. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> Talking talk about great partnerships that add benefit to the fan experience. Um, for sure. Well, thinking about what else is outside of that, I mean, you transitioned from Mississippi State to Wake Forest during the middle of that pandemic. We talk about the differences between SEC and ACC, but one of the things that we probably should bring up is kind of this Deacon virtual season ticket program uh, and and how that's unique and how maybe that would work in the SEC, maybe not. Uh, But dive into that a little bit. I think that ties well with the membership topic as well. Yeah. So, and, and what a weird year and a half, our first year it was, um, you know, not only I can remember back just trying to find a moving truck to move across the, to move, you know, across these states from Mississippi, North Carolina in March and the start of the pandemic was interesting. And, but as a part of that, you get to a place and everything you feel like, you know, about marketing and fan experience is really kind of not, doesn't matter because, um, you're not working to drive ticket sales. You're not working to create an venue experience for fans. Um, you're still focused on the student athlete experience, but it's different. And so we, we turn a lot of our, our focus to how can we create a program or experience that allows us to keep our fans engaged while they're away? You know, it's very likely that in this last year, there were fans who missed a football game for the first time. Um, they've come to a game, a game a season or every year since they were a kid and they didn't come at all. Um, and so we felt a very strong need to create a, a system in a way to allow them to feel that game day experience at home so they don't forget what it's like. And so we actually work with FanMaker um, to develop a custom program called the Deacon Virtual Season Ticket. We launched it last July. And the idea was creating an, an experience. We looked at some, ML, some MLS and um, other soccer programs. We looked at similar, did similar things, um, creating a constant connection to you, um, for you to our programs and really amping that connection up on game day. So what we did, we basically took the basic fan maker model for their, for their rewards program, and we added lots of things to it. Basically, FanMaker worked to add a stories feature, just like Instagram, where we could actually post video, photo, written content. It looks like Instagram stories at the top of the app. Um, we did live virtual pep rallies once a week, where we had the band, cheerleaders, coaches, student athletes talking um, that allowed these members of the program um, to experience that. And we priced it at the price of a season ticket. So the thought was to help us recoup some revenue by one for your family. And so we priced it $179 for the season for football. Um, and basically it was a way for us to, to uh, move some, some revenue. It wasn't huge numbers, but it was revenue coming in. It was also engagement. And we really had two tiers. Of the We had a free level and a, and a paid level. The free level allowed you to have some engagement. The paid level was that, you know, you wanted to get more. So, um, on game days, though, we really amped it up. So we deliver content every day through this program, video, photo, written content. Um, and then on game days, we did a game day 90-minute live show. And so um, it was a chance for you to stream this. You got a dedicated link to stream it through either through YouTube or through the app, and you could watch it. And it took you inside game day. It took you to what you would see on game day. You would get to walk around the stadium with a host, walk around the stadium, showing you things happening um, that day. You would see warm-ups that were that had commentators talking about warm-ups would take you to fill level. Um, coach would do a keys to the game feature. And so it was a way for us to really show and provide that game day experience. You would see the team taking the field. You would see the band show. Um, you know, the band wasn't actually on the field. We pre-recorded it because they couldn't be on the field on game day. So we would show back this band show they were experiencing on game days if they were there. And so we tried to deliver to home every bit of your experience you would get if you were there as best we could. Um, we offered discounted home tailgate packages through tailgate guys. So if you were part of the program, you could get a tailgate at home package. They would come set it up at your house. Um, and so it was a way for us to try to just take the game day to them that they would not forget what game day at Wake Forest was like. Um, 
So we rolled it out for football, and then we actually rolled it forward to basketball as well on a, on a monthly price point for, for basketball season. So um, it was a way for us to kind of fill that void for a year. Couple couple questions. One, have you guys continued with it? We, we have not right now. So okay, um, well, talk to me about that decision. Yeah. So it was honestly a, it was it was a it was a, it was a lengthy conversation over a couple of months. Um, we had intended to continue it, um, and we had intended to migrate it into a mem- into what the membership perk of our season ticket members. So the thought was transitioning this whole program that every season ticket holder got. This is a perk of their season ticket. Um, and the benefit would be that you got exclusive content throughout the week. But the biggest marquee part of it was that on game day, you got access to exclusive experiences. Yeah. The challenge being, while we decide not to do it this year, I think we will bring it back probably next year, is that with still the limitations we have from COVID, we can't offer some of the things we want to offer. We can't offer sideline passes. We can't offer a lot of these experiences. So we did not feel like we could adequ- adequately roll it out at the level we want to do that and provide that experience to our ticket holders. And so the intention is to bring it back once we return to a more normal setting. Um, and these members can go in there, redeem the things they earn for sideline passes or, um, you know, take the deacon walk with the team, things like that. But we didn't think like we could do that at the highest level right now with, yeah. with limitations still in place. So we, we held off for a year. Well, it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, I, I, have, I have a bunch of takes on it. I mean, one, kudos on you guys for putting something together like that. Something that, again, even on a tiered model as well, freed plus paid. Um, I, I do think that, you know, going forward, if that's something you fold into your membership Pro yep. or your your t- season ticket membership, right? Boom, you can boost prices up right away. Right. And I mean, at Disney, right? We we would boost our tickets, we would up our tickets every year. But every year we added value, and so people still felt like, hey, even though the tickets are higher, there's this thing new, there's this thing new. I'm getting more benefit. You get into trouble when you start raising prices and don't increase value. And so right. if you're if you're if you're adding that into the mix. Now you, you've got a solid reason that you can justify and say, hey, this is why we raise ticket prices $10 each, right? Or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, sure. So kudos there. I mean, the, the other thing, though, I, I'm, I've got a tweet getting ready to go out later today about this around just kind of the hybrid model of fandom now. And I, I think I look at there are a lot of schools that are like you guys that are kind of more in the upper echelon of acad- academics. And so what happens is you attract students that are from out of state and don't stay in state when they graduate and they're spread out across the nation. And so how do you engage? doesn't mean they're less of a fan. It just means they're less likely to come to a game in person. So how do we engage those people year round? And that's where I think, that's why I asked the question if you guys are continuing it or not, because yeah. whether it's a pandemic or not, you still got fans that are spread out all over that it's kind of tough to get to, to school. So how can we offer something and drive some revenue and engagement with those fans? It's, I think this is a program that everybody should be considering uh, if you've got fans that are kind of spread out nationally. For sure. Um, all right. Well, let's bring us home here. Uh, we, we've got a bunch of other questions left that we're absolutely not going to get to. Um, but one question I do want to hit on is talking about inspiration, right? I mean, you you seem, Rhett, to have – you pull from a lot of different places, not just college athletics. Um, so maybe we'll go into the book question about kind of what you're reading and what you're thinking about, what kind of inspires you. So what's the book that you've given most as a gift and why? I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you two. Okay. Um, and I'll talk about the second in more depth. The first would be a book called Excellence Wins, and it is about um, basically the Ritz-Carlton model of how they created the Ritz-Carlton. It's outstanding, and it really focuses on um, the level of customer service that Ritz-Carlton um, in- implemented and how that built their business. Um, outstanding book. Um, so I, that uh, I've taken a lot from that. Um, the second one, though, that I probably is, have given most and talked to my staff about most, which you will relate to, is Be Our Guest. Um, so I, I am fascinated by the Disney model of customer service. Um, I think it's the best. I think it's the best out there. I think it. Um, I think if we, from an athletic standpoint, can take pieces of that, it will make our experience better. And so, you know, the book itself talks so much about the key facets to the model of creating that experience for, for customers. Um, one of the things that I talk most about um, to my staff, anybody who listens to this who's worked for me will know this, um, I hope, um, is the concept of bumping the lamp. And so I talk about this a lot. And if, if you don't, if for those who don't I was going to say, it, explain that a little bit for people that I'm, I'm obviously very familiar with it, but explain it for our listeners. So it, it's the concept overall of plussing the experience. 
And so the background of how it how the term was was coined, um, Disney, I think, in um, was, was working to create the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And um, at the time, it was kind of a trailblazer of film because it was one of the first instances of mixed reality, bringing in animated characters and live, and live video. And so w- when they were trying to create this concept of these 2D characters mixing with a real environment, um, there was so much attention to detail placed in how to make those 2D characters feel real. There's some specific specific scene in the, in the movie where um, where they're in a room and the rabbit's ears bump the lamp and this lamp starts swaying. And, and if you read the concept of bumping the lamp, it talks about all the extra effort that went into making the shadows from the movement of that lamp swaying ref, uh, reflect the rabbit. So how that lamp moving made the shadows of the rabbit in the room move. And so it's a fascinating concept of just the attention to detail and the importance of that. And I talk about it all the time because if we can place in athletics that same attention to detail emphasis in what we do, we can plus our experience for everybody. This space is so competitive from um, other collegiate sports programs, from professional sports, from the ability to watch a game on TV and how easy it is that we have to make our in-venue experience the best it can be. And so I talk often to our groups about how do we bump a lamp in our experience? How do we plus our experience, take it one step further than we were currently thinking just to make it the best it can be? And I think really that that whole concept has really exemplifies Disney's approach to that and how they work to create attractions and things that are exceptional, not just good. Um, and so it's fascinating to me. And I, I speak about it a lot to our groups. hundred percent. I love it. Great, great recommendation. Obviously uh, I, I will endorse that as well. Um, and I, I think the interesting thing about the intentionality and the attention to the intentionality and attention to detail that you talk about is it's nice to say in athletic department that we should have hyper-focus and attention to detail on every single thing. The reality is you only have so many resources. You only have so much time. You only have so much capital. Uh, you only have so much talent on your team to do so many things. And so I think where the challenge becomes is identifying what, it, what are the things that we really should be intentional about and what are the things that are okay for us to look over. And because you can't have that kind of attention to detail like Disney does where Disney is all-encompassing. They run an operation every day. The reality is with, with football or basketball, you're only running so many events. So how do you continue to get better and work on those details? If you spotted it was wrong, you only got three days to fix it. And before you know it, it's next year. So I think that's where part of the challenge comes in. And, and it's one of the things that we're, we're helping a lot of schools with right now is identifying what are those details that really matter and how do you dive deep on those. So uh, Rhett, I appreciate you sharing that. So any, any last words of advice for our, our listeners that are either trying to engage deeper with their fans, drive more revenue, or ultimately uh, get better as a department? You know, I would say that the, probably the biggest thing I've learned in the last year and a half is that um, everywhere you are, every school, every uh, program is so different and that everything, so much what we do is borrowed, right? You know, try to go out and go to a, an event and watch it and, and you're going to borrow ideas. But I think the tricky part of that um, is figuring out how it uniquely fits to your institution or your program, because there are ways to take great concepts out there, but they can't be rubber stamped exactly the same. You've got to really understand your program, understand your team and your and your staff and what their strengths are and figure out how you can take these concepts that are out there that are being done all over the country. Um, things you see done the best here and the best here to your point about Disney, like how do we take those concepts and figure out what are our strengths, what, what's actually feasible for us and understand that everywhere you go is different and you can't do the exact things everywhere and they won't work the same way everywhere because everywhere is so unique. So I've learned that a lot this past year and a half at being in a different school. Um, and it's been a great experience for me to learn that and uh, try to bring things to life in new ways. Beautiful. Well, Rhett, where can people reach you, follow along your journey? Uh, if they've got questions or want to learn more about any of the initiatives you're working on, uh, where's the best spot for people to reach you or follow along? Sure. So uh, on Twitter, at Rhett Hobart, um, uh, and then shoot me an email if you want any more deeper dives, HobartR at WFU.edu. Happy to, happy to help and love having conversations about everything in this world. So Wonderful. Rhett, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. To everyone listening, thanks again for tuning in. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. 
As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally And you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.